0: Hello and welcome to Off The Record. If anything uh, disastrous has happened in the music industry in the past week, if Tom rejoined Link 182... That would be a disaster, huh? If the misfits stopped being scary... <laughs> well, we missed it. Uh, I, am, I am traveling to 90 degree weather while it snowed here this morning in Philadelphia. And Jesse and I are doing a little middle of the week episode. Um, if you're listening live on Adobe. You can subscribe to us on iTunes by searching Off The Record. And if you are a iTunes listener and you would like to try listening on Adobe, please go to adobe.com. We air on Thursdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. We got a little bit of a heavier start of the episode today, and then we'll get back into um, insulting each other. But Jesse, <laughs> you... Uh, you went through a little life event uh, the second half of 2014, and um we had talked about talking about it at some point, and today is the day we're going to talk about it a little bit. So for the majority of the time we've been doing this
1: podcast, I was undergoing cancer treatment about, I think like the fourth episode in, I had been working a lot, and a lot of the time when I work too much, my ears will build up too much wax, and... Uh, This time it built up some, and usually what I do is when it does this, I go, okay, this is the side I have to take a few days off. So I took a few days off, but it was still really waxy. Yeah, I mean, I can't work, like, doing any real work um, when my ears are like this, and uh, so I went to a doctor to get it cleaned out. And he thankfully felt around my neck and figured out that I had a lump on my thyroid. And uh, after that, we biopsied it. And I found out I had cancer on my thyroid, which um, if you don't know, thyroid cancer is the way the doctors would always put it is if if you had to choose a cancer and you had to spin the wheel of fortune of cancer, this is the one you'd want to land on. We've talked about this a little bit, but like, I ride my bike 12 miles to work most days. I eat nothing but organic food for over a decade. I juice every day. I do everything as healthy as you could possibly do it. And while that's not something I think people get mistaken, that's not going to prevent you from getting cancer or something like that. What it's going to do is, is it's going to make it so you recover really fast and, you're going to weather it better than most people. But this. I think one of the things that we get really confused about in our this and what I wanted to talk about this was for is that I had a lot of dumb thoughts and I know a lot of musicians as well who have a lot of dumb thoughts about this type of stuff. One of the reasons I really didn't want to tell anybody about this is because when people hear that you have cancer, they assume you're going to do, you know, you're like going through this horrible thing where you're like, brought down and you're like a little bit not, your head's not in the game and you're weak and things are happening. And that can be the case with some cancers um, or a lot of them. But for me, what was crazy is I felt the best I ever felt in my life the whole time. And then like two weeks later after surgery, I felt even better than that. And I've continued to feel really, really amazing most of the time. Except during Taylor Swift discussions. Yeah. Um... That's definitely true. I think that that was one of the weird things is that like, you know, I still was doing great work and I never really like felt anything. There was never like a point where I like was sitting there like, wow, I'm like, you know, not doing up to my full potential. I was always at my full potential and feeling the best I've ever felt. So I didn't want to tell people because I didn't want people to not hire me for jobs. And like, you know, I think of it this way. It's like the few times I told bads, like, you know, um, they got a little freaked out. I can still remember the guys in Somos's face when I got a little too drunk hanging out with them and mentioned it. It's weird because, you know, there's a lot of people who go through horrible, horrible things when they have cancer. And then there's sometimes that you're just like, wow, this is really weird. I have this, but I caught this early enough that it's not really affecting my life yet.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting from the uh, point of an observer because I feel like, I don't know, in TVs or movies or whatever, you hear like person has cancer and then it's, too late and they get rushed off and that's obviously the case a lot in real life and that's like very tragic but you handled it in pace even though you may have like missed a meeting or two or something and then it did it was interesting to see that it was like kind of quick for you in terms of being better I think we may have recorded an episode or two of of catch up just in case you did have to miss shows but it seemed to go a little smoother than I think you may have anticipated they told me I was going to be down for the count
1: for probably about two weeks, Mm -hmm. I was fine after three days. Like I literally, by seven days, it didn't even feel like I had had surgery. I, you know, by day three, I was taking four mile walks and I went back to work on day four and started touching up some mixes. And, you know, it really, I don't want to say it wasn't a thing because then later on when they went to do the final part of my treatment. So the first treatment was taking my thyroid out. So now I take a pill each day that does my thyroid functions for me. and But that at one point, I had to get um, a radioactive— it wasn't chemotherapy, but it was a radioactive treatment. And during that time, they had to take me off my thyroid pills. So for the two weeks I wasn't on my thyroid pills, I did feel absolutely terrible. I was really, really groggy. Um, my brain wasn't working great. And those two weeks were actually funny enough— unlike the surgery where I kind of the time I had to take off from work. I really couldn't get much of anything done. I don't even really remember it. I watched all of the show Ray Donovan and I couldn't really tell you much about it at all. But I think one of the things I really wanted people to take away from this and why we're talking is this show is that, one, our conception of what cancer is and what people feel like during it aren't always the same. And I wouldn't always assume that somebody's well or not well when they're going through it um, or incapable of living their life. Um, and then two, I mean, cause it was, you know, there was like really weird things like, you know, my life didn't ever really go on pause. Like even post-diagnosis, I started a new relationship and fell in love with somebody. And I did tons of great records. I wrote a lot of my book during that time. And I kept a really clear head. And one of the things I will say also that like that helped me keep a clear head is I really didn't stay up worrying about this and dwell on it too much. Cause I really, I read a lot of stoicism during it. And a lot of that stoicism is about, um, Ryan holiday, actually wrote a great book called the obstacles the way that is like kind of like what stoicism is and brought into a modern light. And it talks about how the things in your life that are hard that you go through are just going to make you stronger. I really took that and I, tried to make all of this be something where I didn't worry too much. I didn't think about all the things that could go wrong. And I tried to make sure I wasn't thinking
0: about thoughts that would be stupid to think about. And Maybe a little more just perspective for you as well, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: it's, it's tough. Cause you know, when you go through something like this, it's so hard to not let your mind wander. But I really learned over the years from like whenever there's been bad things that have happened to me in my life of that, like, you know, whether it's um, a loved one being sick or a bad breakup that I try to not dwell on things for too long. Like once I think it's healthy to sit there and think and then there's a point where you have to say, okay, I've thought about this enough for this span of time. Let me go do something like work or whatever that'll take my mind off this. Let me go see a friend and hang out. Do something so you're not sitting there. and It's good to think about something like this every day or every day or two for a little bit of time. But if you're sitting around all day thinking about it, it's going to eat you up. It's going to just make it worse. Mm. I think the other thing I'd like everybody to know, too, is that you know, we're living in a time where you see people constantly having these benefits. There was a great benefit for Nate from Ensign this last week in New Jersey that really was heartening to see so many people come together and bands get back together to raise money for me as a really aggressive cancer, unlike mine. And it was really heartening to see that happen. But what I wanted people to understand is I went just went through the healthcare system, and I know a lot of musicians are really poor and make no money. If you go through this and you think, I don't have the money for insurance, there's a thing called family care in most states that you can, one, get your insurance through. Two, um, Obamacare does not discriminate against pre-existing conditions, so that means even if you're diagnosed, you can still get health insurance that can help offset your bills. And I want people to make sure they know that there's lots of options available if you do get sick, but don't use this as a reason uh, to get bogged down. Because I had insurance and I was able to do navigate through the healthcare system properly, I didn't need to call on people to do a lot of events. And because my cancer wasn't as aggressive as someone like, let's say, Nate's, which is stomach cancer, which is much, much more aggressive. Make sure... You prioritize if you're feeling sick to get checked up as soon as possible. One of the stupidest things because I didn't feel sick.
0: Yeah, so so explain I'm curious to hear about a little more about the ear thing. Like so it is that like a natural thing to get blocked up? I get like, it
1: once a year when I overwork. I I literally for about seventeen is it, is years it, now.
0: Is that like a common producer thing?
1: I most of my good friends get it when they work too much. Like it's just you're literally your ear saying dude, fucking relax. Take a break. And you know, this is... Too much punk. Yeah, it's it's usually when I've been doing 16-hour days nonstop, not taking days off, which is something I've been prone to do. And I still am not very good at avoiding. But I think there's even a thing of that, you know, you and I both being around musicians, you see how often they're on tour and they're really feeling something terrible and they're not getting it checked out. Getting it checked out, and I'm somebody who's very doctor phobic, and I don't mean that I hate doctors uh, in a discriminatory way. You just don't don't, want to I don't want to go there. I don't want to enter the healthcare system. I don't want to be a part of it ever. I just want to hopefully cure it with something organic, and and I try to just treat my body well so I don't have to go to the doctor in general. But then there's also the time to realize that, yes, there's things that only a doctor can cure. But I I think the point I want to impress is that getting a regular checkup, is something that's really important and it you know especially if you're living that life where you're eating ramen all day and you're in that van and all that stuff it's important to make that time and I know I sound like the dad the cop the suit
0: but like that saved my life yeah no no it's obviously good that you are that you were like oh maybe this is a little worse than it normally is yeah uh- and you
1: know the other you know the other thing I said said like you know it was funny to watch um filmage about when bill stevenson uh, like woke yeah. up from his surgery and you're like you know i had a very similar thought because like anytime you go into surgery you can die and uh i think the best thing about this is is that like i've gotten a little bit more focus from this now you really everybody's going to have some bad moments in their life and i think like the part of what I was getting at with the stoicism thing is, is that you really, some people, when they have the bad thrown at they just dwell and they sit and they look at them and they go, I can't believe this happened to me. Da, 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 da. No matter what bad comes at you, you have to figure out how to turn it into something good. Like, I know I've told this story in a different way about like the man overboard. When real talk got leaked that we turned it around and we put it onto the bank This was a very similar thought of whenever I have something bad thrown at me, I try to think about how I can turn it into something good. And, like, I sat there and I thought a lot about, like, I'm like, okay, well, if I'm going to be held up, I made sure I saved some work that I could probably do in bed. Like, I could work on my new book and I saved some grammar work and stuff like that. And you got to think about how you turn these things into an asset. And, yes, there's some cancers that are really not going to to let you do that. But, like, and some things in life, but you got to try to find what they are and what you can learn from them that's constructive because bad things are going to happen to you.
0: Yeah. It's very easy. I mean, and obviously in all the situations to get super negative, uh, which is, I'm very good at, <laughs> you're good at being negative or you're good at not being negative. Well, I'm good at like seeing, seeing the massive problem and not, not, I mean, ultimately, of course, wanting to turn it around, but like just not, or being very stressed or letting that eat me and not, It's hard for me to, like, I get in, like, a rut. Like, Grace will, like, yell at me. She'll be like, you need to just stop being, like, a total grump or stressed out to the point where it makes the work worse or your health worse or whatever. It's very, very easy, I think, for probably a lot of people to get into that mindset.
1: Yeah, I I think that 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 is part of the stoicism thing is that, like— It's, it's a weird thing that to program your brain. Like I always talk about it. And like, I know we've talked about depression before on here. And like, one of the things I had to do when I was younger is I was so programmed to go to a negative place and be so pessimistic. that I had to program my brain to do the opposite thing is to just say, no, you can do this. And like, I've helped a friend recently with this a lot. And it's just like, it's one of those things of like, you, you can't go negative in any way. It's just, it, there's nothing good that comes from going negative. Totally.
0: Yeah, spe- yeah. <laughs> especially when you don't necessarily know the outcome. But you, so on that note, I guess, uh, you are good. Yeah, so um,
1: right? it's been four months since they told me that the cancer is gone. and Now, with cancer, you know, it's always a thing of that. It can spring up somewhere else, but I feel amazing. They The treatment was successful, the way they put it to me that, is that this will not be the thing that gets me is thyroid cancer is that we've moved on past that so you know there's always the risk of that you know your cells continue to form but i feel great and uh there's anytime i go there the doctors say that i'm doing
0: great so um everything's looking good. He's only just become grumpy in the last few weeks, and that has nothing to do with that. That, is to,
1: that has to do with working too much, which, uh, mm. <laughs> incidentally, is what got me in this bad situation. <laughs> I should probably take a hint from that. But, but, hey, you know what? After I slept all yesterday, I'm feeling a little less grumpy.
0: Yeah, I put you right to sleep after that podcast. You, you, you kind of did. I kind of did sleep for 16 hours. Whew. Yeah. Whew. I, uh... Woke up, you know, first, first, last day of school. To, no, last first day of school today. I, wo- I woke up at 530 and could not get back to sleep. Um, mm. That's, that's just, that's the life of an old man. You got to wake up early. So, I woke up at 530 and then I watched
1: that uh, Scientology documentary. And that scared the living uh, crap. Is this part, is
0: this part of the... Uh, is this going to be part of the uh, documentary list you make for the website? Well, that's just going to be punk documentaries. There's nothing punk about Scientology. Uh, not going to... Okay. I actually saw someone else tweet about it. So is this like a new thing that has come out? So that so on, HBO, uh,
1: on HBO, Got it. A documentary on Scientology, that woke me up out of being scared... <laughs> Scared for our society that anybody could believe that stuff. Is Tom Cruise in it? Oh, there's so much Tom Cruise in it. Okay,
0: I would. I would. I hope mean, you so. can't. You
1: can't. You can't do Scientology without Tom Cruise. Like, right.
0: I would now. I mean, I'll consider. I was. I wouldn't have considered watching it if Mr. Cruise wasn't in it. Um, so now I may consider watching it's, it's
1: Him and a whole lot of John Travolta.
0: Oh, really? Mr. Travolta? He's, he's a huge Scientologist. Him? Uh, no, no oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't really know. Him. I've never seen Grease, oh, so I don't really it, know. It, 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 I, him, I, him I assume and, it carries through. Him and uh, Will Smith. Really? Will
1: Smith, too? Will Smith and his wife are... Well, but you, you, that, you
0: know the, the, the joke is... Is that why he made my two favorite movies, I Empire and the other one I'm forgetting about? Are you being serious you like those movies? I Well, look, you got to understand, I was in like 6th or 7th grade when, I, when those... Okay. Do you remember... You know, the other one I'm talking about, like New York goes to hell. Yeah, yeah. I am legend or whatever. I am. Le- I love that movie. <laughs> oh, oh. I <I've, laughs> like I've I've seen it.
1: I, you know me. I don't watch action movies. I've seen that one. Yeah. And that was terrible.
0: You got to imagine like a sixth to an eighth grader. Like those are some awesome movies. That's Now I know what I'm going to like watch on my flight across the country this week. <laughs> Rough, um, man, Will Smith, a Scientologist. Everything fresh French feels totally it, different. You, you, now. you know,
1: there's a, there's a, a really good uh, tweet that somebody said uh, that there's lots of things in this world that um, you want to just forget when you learn them, and one of them is that Beck is a Scientologist.
0: Who else? Uh, the, this, this documentary must be really bad for some people's personal brands. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not going to do people very well. And it's also
1: probably going to help get them, uh, so they're not tax exempt for the religious organization anymore. It's a really ugly documentary.
0: So it's not like, uh, oh, I see. So it's more like, a, we're shedding some concerned light. Man, man. You the, know, I thought we like hit peak
1: tangent the other week on the, uh, one of the episodes, but yeah. when we went go from cancer to Scientology, <laughs> I mean, this (laughs) is what people tune in for To to
0: Will Smith's career We're really getting peak tangent in here This is what they tune in for Um, For anyone concerned about I Am Legend I'm on the Wikipedia page And it looks like we are getting that long-desired follow-up That long-desired sequel And uh, I'm happy to report now that Jesse and I will see it together (laughs) Yeah Yeah. Don't
1: see that one happening All right (laughs) I gave the message I want to give people. But, yeah, I think the other last thing to say is I want to impress. Not everybody who feels bad is, like, faking it or needs to eat organic juices. Some people's cancer is really bad, but some people's is not. It's You should listen to what they say and listen to how they feel and how they tell you they feel, not assume one way or another that they're either doing great or they're doing bad. Kids, get your checkups. Your checkups. I have to go to the doctor soon. I, I mean, you're about to go into the real world. You better get checked up before, otherwise, you know, you might like have. I
0: am. I have that sweet school insurance until sometime soon. I, I, um, I was good, I was gonna say, it, and you know, then when you decide to go to graduate
1: school. <laughs> <gasps> yeah, I know that's
0: not how I don't even know how I'm going to make it the next 10 weeks. It's so hard at this point, but I'll, I'll get ten, 10 weeks, that's all you got left. Uh, yes, yeah, ten, 10 weeks, and I'm skipping one of them, and uh, yeah. That's pretty good. All right. Our last sad topic this week, or happy topic, whatever. Our last uh, deep topic is about, um, we, we got into a conversation on the last episode about um, bands and writing songs and and Jesse's um, mentality that bands should write. Tell me if I'm wrong, but bands should essentially write a lot more than they use, and to kind of uh, flex their creativity and pick from the best. Um, and we wanted to get into that for the second half of this episode. We got into this the other week, where I was talking about like one of the
1: things that I think's been lost in the modern era of making great records is that like a lot of time bands don't had the time to reflect on if they actually did the song right. Like, they basically get done recording, and then they're like, okay, cool, we're done recording, and then they don't even, like, listen back to see if there's holes in the songs, or, like, they could improve the song. It's just like, oh, we reached the finish line. Like, it's like a video game. Like, you beat that level. It's like, okay, go mix the song. I guess we're
0: done. And Interesting. And I think part of the conversation also, too, came from um, we were talking about uh, a shift from bands writing fourteen song albums to going down to ten and being more concise. Yeah. And then you said that there should still be writing. Yeah. Basically. So what I was
1: gonna say is, I think that that's one of the big things that's been lost. The thing I was just saying, and then this is another one that I continually see going downhill, and I think it's one of the most important things. Like, um, so if you think about it this way, like Rick Rubin, who we all know, one of the the single most successful record producer in rock music now uh he holds the title for Rick Rubin uh has a great story of like that he always tells band to write two to two and a half records for every one they release so then when he went to go do the record with Black Sabbath they laughed at him and they're like yeah we're writing 14 songs he's like okay i'll let you guys have a nine song record then but hmm. like he's very very adamant and has been since the beginning like um There's a great story in this long Daily Beast article about Rick Rubin, about how when the Beastie Boys were doing Licensed Ale, which, you know, really is a game-changing record, that they're like, when are we going to be done with this record? We've written so many songs. But he really just kept having them write songs and having them write songs and record them until he felt like they had a solid record. And I think that that's, like, it's really getting lost. Like, I'm... Particularly, like, I'm seeing... When bands come to the studio, they're not right. They're like, okay, we got eight, we can go. Okay, we got eight, we can go. And it's like, that's not the right way to do it. And I think about, you know, like even like, I I think I've told this before on this podcast, uh, but I want to say we had 40 to 50 demos before we did Bad Overboards Hung Up on Nothing EP and we picked from the best. And then we kept picking from the best and maturing those songs as we went along and they had so many there and that's what was able to make us put out such a big part of that output in the beginning is that like, as we could get a song to fruition and like be able to get that objectivity to bring it to a better place, we would do that and it really enabled us to have a really high quality output at first.
0: It's interesting to me. Cause like, I think, and like ultimately your perspective just wins, but I think like to a lot of the non Technical people. I don't know that I think this more or less than I did when I was like, whatever, doing interviews when I was 16 or 17 or seeing bands like tweet stuff when I was that old too. But it'd be like, I felt like it was always the poppier rock bands, like the all time lows or the mains or the Mayday Parades, whatever that would be like. Wrote sixty songs, or forty songs, whatever, and then I'd listen to thirteen of them and be like, I think like four of these are good. Like <laughs> there a, there is, that is know? a thing too. And I know those. I know that can be like part of the band, whatever. It's not. I'm not saying. I'm not like trying to point out any bands to make fun of. But I, I in my mind, like if I'm thinking back, I, I can't really think back to a time where I can remember like Bayside, Senses Fail, The Wonder Years, uh, whatever. You know, band Bands maybe more from a truly punk start. Being like, yeah, we wrote fifty songs and now we picked fifteen of them, and well, twelve of those are good or something. And so the the perspective is interesting because it it it's, it feels jarring to what I find like real. Because to me, it's like we got to write that one hit. But I I don't know. This is it's none of it's necessarily accurate. It's just like in my head. I guess.
1: Well, I think there's an interesting thing with a lot of those bands too, is that then they don't know. I think there's two things that happen. That their one becomes an option paralysis where you don't even know what's good anymore because you've lost perspective and you maybe don't have a manager or a producer who's helping you guide that very well of which ones to choose. Um, and then two, with that option paralysis is that like, I think there also is a thing that we don't talk about all the time too, that I was having a conversation. I don't think it was on our podcast, but like hearing that Max Bemis from say anything, wrote a thousand songs for that song shop on Uh, I think he was talking about it on the Matt Pryor podcast. Uh And like, I just feel like if you do a thousand songs, it just, the song becomes so devalued. Like, I don't know how you even can sit there and choose which one's worth bringing to fruition anymore. And I think that there is a thing and I've seen it with like a couple of my more prolific songwriter friends that when they almost get too prolific, it starts to become that they can't even tell which one's really good aside from a few exceptional ones Of what to really bring to light. So we
0: have a balance
1: bit. Well, I think that there's a happy medium, but yeah, if that's what you mean by balance, is that, like, there's... You can write too much. Like, I I always find it weird, like... So Rancid usually makes between a 16 and a 22-song record. Um, If I'm guessing correctly, from my love of their music and, like... But they're famous for writing
0: forty to sixty songs a record, and yeah, that's crazy. And it's funnier. That. Well, in some ways, it's like oh duh, like the songs are in thirty seconds long, but also not. I don't. It's just an interesting perspective as well as I think of like last year. There were two albums, one of which you worked on, that were really fantastic, and they were actually under ten songs. Yeah, um, Somos was eight. Yeah, eight or nine eight yeah. songs. And Hotel Year, I think, was also—I may be wrong on the Hotel Year song one, but I think that was also, like, nine songs. And that was the first—usually when I see something, like, that long or, to some people, short, I'm like, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, the Hotel Year album is nine songs, too. And um, usually when I see stuff like that, I'm like, man, this better be, like, fucking great, right? Because I don't—in my mind as a music listener—and Jesse, you were talking about this on the last episode— while you can while sometimes you tend to get bored after 36 minutes or something in an album, a lot of our albums happen to actually be our, a lot of our favorite albums happen to be longer than mm-hmm. that. like uh Untitled by Blink is over 40 minutes long. Uh, De- uh, Devil by brand new is fifty like six minutes long. And so it's as as a listener whose favorite albums are typically a little longer maybe, when I get a Somos album and it's 27 minutes long and nine songs, I'm like, man. These better all, not be hits, but, like, really good quality because that that feels like a condensed product. And I know this is a little different than talking about only writing, oh, sorry, than writing a lot of songs, but I'm kind of all about nine phenomenal songs or really good songs versus, like, 13 songs and having half of them be really great and half of them be like, eh. It's, it's like those two albums, I never really thought about it before, I, before those two albums became a constant mix of mine last well,
1: year. Th- so here's a funny thing of like the history of that, too, is I can remember when Lifetime put out Hello, Bastards and Jersey's Best Dancers, two classic Jade Tree releases, that everybody mm-hmm. was like, oh, my God, they're so short, but they're all hits. And right. everybody would be like, wow, those Lifetime records are only 22 minutes long. And but everybody was like, those records are all hits and every song like you would never take a song off. You don't hit skip on them. And the way they would always justify is they're like, hey, Gorilla Biscuits start today is 24 minutes. And that really was the thing of that. Like Gorilla Biscuits, like led that way on like, here's the here's all these one minute and 45 second songs. And we're going to have a 14 song record, but it is going to be. And it's funny too, because like when you talk about like what punk rock did is like, um, a lot of professional recording contracts would be, uh, that, Oh, you'd have to have at least X amount of mastered. songs. 32 minutes was usually the thing. So, Mm. and if you think of it this way, 32 minutes is a happy medium. If with 21 minutes being the maximum sides, you're going to get on an LP 32 minutes makes a lot of sense for a band. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I think that's also what dictated a lot of this. And then you'd get the prog rock bands who wanted to go double record and be more expansive. But like, this was a very common thing. But I think we are seeing this thing like where it's like, man, like, you know, Rob came in to do pre-production the other week and it was like that thing of like, say, 22 minutes. And I'm like, Whoa, oh, you know, that's might not even be legal in your record contract with like, you know, whatever label you end up putting this out with. And I do think that there's a thing that while if it's all hits, no one feels uh, like cheated, but man, if you like, you put out a record and there's three bad songs and it's only two, 22 minutes and somebody pays a full length price for that,
0: that's kind of a cheated thing. On that note, what do you think about like a band like Knucklepuck or Real Friends really, who, ha- who took the route of releasing a few EPs to sort of get get a sound or get a style <clears throat> or get experience under their young belts before diving into a record. That's either anywhere between 10 and 14 songs. I th- do you th- that's think that's the way you're you supposed you think to do it. Got
1: it. I mean, uh, you know, I was having this discussion. There's this uh, great band I work with called uh, save face and they're great kids and their music. I did two EPs with them, and, like, one of them got a little thrashier, and now they're getting a little bit more brooding. And, like, mm. I said it to them, like, they were, like, worried. They are like, oh, this sound changed. I'm, like, you know what? When you're doing EPs and, and singles and splits, that's when you're supposed to be finding your sound. Like, you think about what Title Fight sounded like on that first record compared to Hyperview. Different band. Yeah,
0: I mean, if you played it for most people, you wouldn't even think it was the same band. right. Yeah, it's um, I, I find it kind of cool. Like I cannot really think there's a lot of EPs that I love from all of music, but there's not too many from bands where it's like multiple EPs in a row. The only, the only other band I can think of um, in the period between this, them and um, Knuckle Puck and Real Friends was Bouncing Composure released um, two EPs, actually three EPs, but two prominent EPs, one, on their own. And then they released like a split EP with, um, tiger straw, but they each had like four songs. So it was a legitimate EP. And, um, I, I think it's cool cause you kind of develop your sound. And then I think the balance of composure and knuckle puck comparisons, a little apt actually, like the two EPs had a continual sound a little different. And then like the LP took it a, a truly great step forward. And, um, we'll see on a knuckle EP on Knucklepuck LP, and everyone will have their own judgment, but um, I think you can it's interesting and I think kind of enjoyable for the music fan to track the evolution Um, like Knuckle Puck like the weight that you buried by Knuckle Puck was a lot more like there wasn't a lot of like depth to the music I think and then their split with Neck Deep got a lot more into that and then so did the last EP While I Stay Secluded I think it's like I think it's good and I think in terms of like promotion of an EP versus an LP it's a shame to like have 10 songs you're really proud about or 14 songs you're really proud about kind of vanish because your band was nothing. Um or because you weren't you didn't know how to promote it right. And then by the time you're by the time like anyone catches on to it, they'll already expect a new album from you.
1: Yeah, it is weird because like bands get very um sacred about their early material a lot of the time. And but like fans go back and find that stuff if they really love it. And like I think one, there's that and then, two, you learn so much each time you record, especially if you record with different producers early on. You're going to learn a lot about doing things different and going around. And I'm not saying you should gratuitously switch producers. I think that's a very big mistake a lot of bands make, actually. Like, just for the fuck of it? It's so funny, because, like, there's... Uh, it, it's Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I mean, like, thing. there's a weird thing that, like, sometimes people are like, oh, well, we got to learn from these... Producers were kind of mentors or like you get that all time low thing where you're just going to like go to all these different producers and see. Throw shit yeah, and that's part wall.
0: of what I was saying before. You know, I feel like there was a there was like a hot minute there when those bands are really trying to get on the radio. Yeah. Right. And like you'd have you'd have three songs produced by someone else, produced by three different people. And then the next seven songs produced by one. And that like felt so major labely, even when those bands weren't on major yeah, labels. Yeah, no,
1: it was everybody trying to do that thing. And there still is that thing. Like, I, you know, to be honest with you, I've been on two records recently where I'm the third producer on them. And I'm not the third producer because the producers quit. It's like they go in and then they're like, well, what would you do different with this? And I'm like, oh, well, this, 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 I don't like this. And then, like I do some work and God knows what it's going to sound like when they take it to the mixer finally
0: strange i feel like i don't know i just i want the cohesiveness like but i think
1: that that's also the difference between like you know like i think did that great is that first uh, forever the sickest kids record that has like what four producers on every track and in a different uh-huh. mixer i think it's actually yeah. it's realistically it's three producers because it's rockwell squire and the guy from that band self and then they had somebody else mix it. Mm-hmm. So it's like all these people coming up with ideas on it and it can work. But I mean, for
0: a band like Knucklepucker Real Friends, that's like silly because you don't, you just don't. Need it would to. just be bad. Like there's, there needs to be like those records you want, I feel, to tell more of a story than necessarily have singles. You just want
1: more cohesiveness
0: in it. And I think mm-hmm. that that's another thing to get into too.
1: And is that like, one of the things I don't see mentioned a lot is that like, when you get into these producers writing for bands a lot, I think a lot of what gets lost in the band is their sense of melody and then it just starts to sound jumbled and weird. Like there's so many times I hear records where it's like that record where they didn't do it with the producer who was like the writer. Right. It sounds really good, cohesive, and they have a sound. And then all of a sudden, and then it sounds like, you know, it just sounds like a jumble Mush because they're doing harmonies they never would have done. They're doing melodies they never would have done. And it just sounds like a Mush. And then the fans hate it. And they're like, this is stupid. And I think that that's the thing. Like, I'm very conscious of, of my productions is I try to bring out what a band would do instead of just saying, hey, here's what I hear here. It's like, hey, this part's missing something. What would you do here now that you know that there's something missing here? We need to thicken this up. What would you do instead of, hey, sing a fifth here? That's the harmony you should do. Now, granted, if all their ideas are bad, I might tell them to do something else and what I hear in right. my head, but that's a different story.
0: I, I wanted to go back to something that you said at the top of this um part of the show. Um, you mentioned that like not many bands take the time to reflect. They kind of just dive oh, right yeah. into finishing the that, album. That- that's big and and so was was this something that was more prevalent because like so right now um uh knucklepucker finishing their album as we talk and then they're actually we have a little time before we need to turn it into the label so when the band comes back around on tour into chicago halfway through they'll have essentially like the final mixes um but they'll have a day or two if they want to make any like vocal or lyric changes and then they'll be able to you know, punch them in and go from there, they'll have, you know, they'll have upwards of a month to sit on the songs and to feel them out. And they, you know, they can't go back and like, uh, you know, trash a song and start a new one, but they actually do have a little bit of time to sit instead of just like, instead of just hitting push to, you know, push to iTunes basically. Uh, and so that's like a, that's a good thing in your mind. I think that's the actual, some of the most
1: important time in a record so a lot of the way i developed the studio is i saw how much important that is is that like i literally i get a mix that's like 90 percent of the way there with the bands that i'm working with and then i put it up on the dropbox i say hey let's listen back to this and see what's missing see what's not working and what is working and then we add to that mix because like So much of music is like, it's even the thing of like too, like when you hear a band's practice tape off the iPhone and then you hear the garage band demo and then you hear how it sounds like when in a real production, you keep hearing more and more things because you can clear more clearly hear the music back and you get more ideas and you hear more of the things that need to be done to make this emotionally work. And I think that that's some of the most valuable time in making a great record period. And, if I was still managing bands, um, I would make that a mandatory part of every recording. Cause I think that that's what makes a great record as well. What you touched on too. And I kind of have talked about this a little before is the redoing a song. If you have to, there's certain times that you have to sit there and say, we did not nail this. Like, you know, um, a perfect example so I just produced this great record for this band, Stories of Living, and, you know, like, right now, we're having the thing of, like, we've done the first round of mixes, I'm going through the changes, they're going to come back in, we're going to touch a few vocals up, change the voicings on a few guitar parts, so things kick in a little bit more, and add a gang vocal or two to certain parts that we didn't realize should have them, and these guys had pretty extensive demos, but like there was one song where, where it's like we got there and we realized like this is not the right key of the song and we had to just start over basically and re-record everything except the drums because the key should be different and we just didn't hear that in the demo process. And there's times you got to be honest about that and do that because that's the difference between having a mediocre song that's not really working and one that everybody's going to skip on or having that record we were talking about that we want to have, which is that no one skips the songs.
0: Huh? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's cool. Like the perspect. I like the having the perspective and also like, you know, I feel like it takes, kind of takes like chops to be like, you know what? And I, you know, some of this is on the producer, but a lot of it's on the band too. Especially, I guess, if there could be a disagreement with the producer or vice versa. But like having the chops to be like, you know what? It's not the end of the world. This is like long term. This is going to be okay and better, hopefully. Oh. Well, usually these um, yeah.
1: patch ups, too, you got to remember take one day of time. So let's say you, you're doing the average thing for a full length. Let's call it average full length, about two weeks ish. Taking one extra day where you put in what's called $500 more to do this is the biggest difference in that $500. I mean, but yeah, the, you know, you also touched on something that, there that's a little interesting is like whether it's the producer. I think one of the most popular articles and sections of my book that I wrote was about how a band is the worst person at choosing the single and choosing the order of the album. Cause the band is often sitting there like, well, I like this song and they like the newest songs first. Or they like the one that really came alive in the studio the most, but they're not remembering that. Yeah. That third song you wrote out of 12 was actually the best song. And you know, you need to put that up. Don't
0: have you're you're too close to the situation.
1: And like, There used to be a really interesting thing, and I can't believe, like, every time I say this, was, like, citing Bon Jovi for doing something smart. (coughs) Oh, my God. I almost just. Yeah. yeah, Okay. I'm still alive. Bon Jovi used to do this thing called the Pizza Parlor Jury because they're from New Jersey, and we all know that New Jersey is one of the five states that you can get good pizza at in America.
0: I feel like that surprises people. I think a lot of people, whether it's because of, like, just bad Jersey bias or not, wouldn't expect. Good Jersey pizza. And honestly, and I know I'm about to maybe get some some uh, shit thrown my way. Maybe not by you, but I really, honestly, like in my town of West Milford, I find that nine out of ten times I'm getting better pizza than I would in New York. I, Except that my select spots in New York that I trust no matter I, what. L- listen, there's a lot of Italians over in that county. And, you know,
1: that's the, that's the thing. It, it You can only get good pizza in Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Delaware. Those are the only places good pizza exists. That's good. Delaware. Really? I would, everything uh, about Delaware scares me. Th- 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 there's parts of Delaware where you can still get great, great pizza. Um, particular shore towns. Um, anyway, <clears> off that, ta- <laughs> off that ridiculous tangent that we just had. Uh, so Bon Jovi would go into a pizza parlor and oh, find, yeah, this is about Bon Jovi <laughs> and find the Bon Jovi fans. They would play them their new record and say, which song
0: stood out to you the most immediately. And that's what they would use for singles. I love that. I and love that. That's why when you walk into Brooklyn pizza shops they're playing Fallout Boy. They're just sampling the music. Oh jeez. Um well so interestingly with real talk we did
1: this with Man Overboard is that we had an open call to come to the studio. Hmm. And a bunch of
0: people came and we listened to, like, what they thought were the best songs. Did, did you say on the podcast with Jeff that we had a few episodes ago that you guys were going to cut Montrose or something like that? Or maybe you no, wrote it later? Montrose
1: wasn't originally on Real Talk. Mm, and that became, like, the hit. When we realized that one song wasn't good enough to be on Real Talk, you got to remember, there's a couple songs on Human Highlight Reel that were recorded in the Real Talk sessions. Right, right. And one of the ones we thought was going to be on Real Talk, we were like, "This is not cutting it. This isn't good enough." So we went in, and the funny here's another funny thing about that: the vocals I want to say for Montrose are just the vocals from Dahlia, but we redid all the other instruments. And like mm-hmm. I think like I left the piano parts that we played and some of the effects I made in the original recording. But like we had, we sat back, me. Zach and Nick were sitting there in the studio at, like, midnight one night, and we're, like, starting to go through the record and listen back, and we're like, you know what? This is missing another hit. We got to do this right now. And I, I, that's one of the most important parts is sitting and judging the record at the end and figuring out what it needs and what it doesn't need.
0: I like that. I think part of, like, a large part of the issue, and this is not really even just related to recording. I feel like it's related to so much and in the music industry I deal with every day is like the deadlines are not like it's the deadlines themselves aren't crazy, but the it's more the constraint we put on the deadlines, right? Like the band, the band can't listen for a month because they could only fit in going to the studio the exact month before they go on tour for six months. And they couldn't get in any earlier because they got rushed in there in the first place. And that means there's no time to sit back to write another song, to write two more songs, to cut a song to take an extra two weeks to listen to mixes and, and or to not listen to mixes and then come in with like a fresh perspective. Right. Like, um, and I, it's like the same thing with just announcements or streams and stuff. It's like, Oh great. We're going to proof the, we're going to proof the biography or we're going to proof the press release 12 hours before we're announcing it all. It's like, so, so often I feel like with music stuff truly comes down to the wire Cause we don't have enough time to do it or to do it the proper way or not to sound like old because I wasn't even alive when this probably was the case, but like to do it the old right way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know?
1: It's, it's hurry up and wait. I think the music business has always been hurry up and wait, but mm-hmm. you are corrected that like, so there's even like a very standard practice of like even 12 years ago when, um, I like, we'd be doing like big budget major label records and I'd be working on it. Is that, you know, we would even, never mind that you would write 20 songs and then record 12, you would actually write those, let's say, 24 songs for your 12 song record, but you'd record 18 of them. And then a couple of those might go on a soundtrack or there'll be a B side or something yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And or totally. the Japanese import. I mean, that, that, and that was some of why during Real Talk. The
0: Japanese import. Yeah. Some great songs on the Japanese imports of yesterdecade. Yeah.
1: Well, and, that, and that was one of the things to it. And I feel like that's disappearing fast too. And it's,
0: oh, yeah. Like,
1: it's just like all this stuff is getting thrown by the wayside, and it's really what helps make records better. And so many bands that are just overlooking this and they're getting to that finish line and they're just going, it's done. And so the other thing about recording that extra three songs is there really is off of that thing of like, if we're doing a 12 song record and we record 15 of them, usually one of those songs that you think is going to make it and that you don't think is going to be the other one, they're going to reverse roles. The one you thought was the b sides going to make it on the record, and one of the ones that you thought was pretty good is going to be like, ah, you know, that just didn't end up with as many magic moments as that other one, and now we got to swap them out. There's a certain thing, too, that, like, you know, while the core of the song is what matters the most and just somebody sitting around playing an acoustic, if it's a good song with a good melody, that's usually going to trump any of the cool effects and things. But every once in a while, there's enough magic that happens in the studio on a song that all of a sudden that one just kicks, all of a sudden kicks it into an extra gear and
0: it is better than another song. So as a, this kind of relates, but I guess as a producer, like, is there typically an amount of time you like to have with a band? Like i like Knuckle Puck like Knucklepuck right now, spent 35 days in the studio for their full length. Enema of the State was recorded in two weeks. I know sometimes punk uh, bands will record. I'm, like I'm uh, not buying that Enema of the State was recorded
1: in two weeks. That's that's that's, that's Jerry Finn. He did. I'm just saying. That's, that's what they say. I don't know. Oh, I don't know why they'd say that. Because bands always. So here, here's one thing I can tell you that
0: I, maybe because they wanted to feel punk
1: bands lie about their recording experiences all the time Joe Barisi famous producer would intentionally tell a crazy lie about like there's a Queens of Stone Age record he did he said we bought one we only used one microphone on the record but it was numerous ones that same record then you watch the making of the record and there's 20 different brands of microphones on it he said for the tool record they filled the room with helium so the drums would be bigger Whoa. Yeah, that was not true.
0: <laughs> that rules. Oh my God, that is sick.
1: People pass this around on the internet. And now, a great example is so I used to work with a band called Bad Wizard. And I'm like sitting on the internet one day, recording, it, like reading an interview with the guy. And he's like, Well, we recorded our new record at a castle. I'm like, When did my parents' basement become a castle? It's a small apartment. <laughs> Wait. <laughs>
0: Helium. Oh, my God. But You got to
1: remember, like, so, like, saying you recorded it in two weeks sometimes. Like, so, for example, they did that record with Jerry Finn. Jerry Finn is known for, one, doing extensive pre-production. So, sure, you could have recorded some of it in a two-week span, but I'm not buying that the mixing and the pre-production all in was two weeks. Not buying it at all. Okay.
0: but That's also a very simple record. We can even... We can even remove the blank comparison, yeah. right? Like some bands take a month, some tan, sure. some bands I feel do or did take two weeks. Some bands take a long, like, is it, for you, is it, do you think that's more of a producer thing, a band thing, or often, unfortunately or fortunately, like a money that's thing? It's usually all about the
1: money. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's like very funny, because like, you know, you talk about that Somos record, and I think we did that all in eight days. Um, Damn. Wow. Really? Yeah. Uh, that's crazy, it, it is astounding. How it's fast not it's- like
0: surprising, but it's crazy. Cause it's like, not that it wouldn't be good, but it's like, damn, that's really good. I mean, I'm lucky enough that with my studio, cause
1: Mike, my co-producer, he works in a second room. So we're technically getting twice as much done as the average studio because both of us are working at the same exact time through all of it. But there's also a big thing that like, you know, in general, a 30 day record is what you want for the aspirational full like now some bands do not need that 30 days at all but there's even a thing of like two is like sometimes people see that the white stripes took 30 days well the white stripes take a different approach they'll sit and they'll play that song 40 different times and choose the take the same the way the beatles would take months on end to do a record is that they'll play until it feels good and that's important for that style band just as it's important for like if you're going to make take off your pants and jacket Maybe play with those keyboard parts a few times until you figure out which one's the most inspired keyboard line and like the little bells and whistles on some of these records, not just going with your first idea and like working out that part until it's perfect really is a big deal on certain records. And I think that that's where, Man, what gets a new so into many
0: it. so many little things to think about for things that I that I uh, fully fully rely on for my uh, living yet don't have any actual like holdover.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then there's also <laughs> other bands who ruin their records um, by sitting there and putting these bells and whistles on forever. Like you, you know, um, I shouldn't rat this band out for it. It wasn't a record I produced, but there's this certain record that everybody's like wow that thing was so overproduced," and it really was that band having an extra five days to dick around and ruin the record
0: wow
1: um and like you know every review on absolute punk and every comment was like what the fuck was this band thinking putting all these stupid reverse symbols and sub hits all over their their record when they didn't do it and a lot of this comes
0: down to having good taste too taste is hard jesse i mean Look at you! It took you. It took you decades to be as tasteful as you are today. Uh, dude, I've always had the classic taste, man. You're out of your. Mind. Always,
1: you're out of your mind. There, there, there's no pictures of me looking stupid with bleach hair or anything or a leather jacket. Nothing like that ever.
0: I tried to grow my hair long once. <laughs> oh, really, um, in, an, in an effort to be like Tom DeLonge, um, naturally. And, uh,
1: what, what, what what era did Tom have long hair?
0: Oh, well, he's still kind of not really anymore, but like, no, 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 you're right. Not like long hair, but like the emo bangs during, during take off your pants, Jack and untitled. And, uh, my mom was like, it's not going to happen, but you can try. And little did I know that she meant, uh, I have like Jufro hair Mm. At, at least back then I did. Mm-hmm. if I tried to grow it really long. Um, and then I was like, well, why don't you just let me get my lip pierced like Tom Belong has? And she <laughs> said no, um, also. And I asked about tattoos. She also said no. Are Jessie, you are,
1: are you glad you didn't get the lip pierced, though, now? Yeah,
0: I mean, definitely. I will say about tattoos. Yesterday, uh, my father told me, look, we'll make a deal. I'll I'll be okay with you getting more tattoos. You just have to wait until I die. <laughs>
1: Well,
0: well I, I, I mean, I'm 30 days away
1: from my next tattoo, so.
0: Wow. We should, go, we should just all go. Thomas, too. Maybe all three of us will go together. Just all get tattoos. Uh, I'm getting mine down in New Orleans, so. Oh, well. Well, yeah. then I'm definitely yeah. coming. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. So, do we have any uh, recommendations? I was going to ask you, Jesse, since I'm about to go on two cross-country plane trips, what, do, you have a, do you have a plane uh, routine? Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm i usually all books on tape are all.
1: Uh... See, it's tough to do movies at a plane because a lot of the best movies have really inappropriate scenes for strangers being next to you.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, less, yeah. It was, I but, mean, yes, I wanted absolutely. to binge
1: on Masters of Sex one time and then oh I realized how oh, bad no. that would have been. Like, no. I was like, kind of
0: like, oh, crap, I can't do that. It would that. even be questionable to do Mad Men.
1: Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No Mad, Game of Thrones. Definitely no Game of Thrones. But, like, books on tape usually plays documentaries are usually pretty good for a plane you have all these punk documentaries
0: to watch after i make oh, I you the can. list. i'm waiting for you going to make it for me this week i'm waiting I,
1: I, I, my my plans to do it tomorrow oh it's, okay so, so you'll, you'll you'll have it but uh yeah watch uh going clear and uh i'm going to also recommend the new season of house of cards i'm like oh, enough of the way through it to say it's oh, awesome so
0: you do you like it
1: Yeah, like I've had a lot of conversations
0: with a lot of people and there's like, uh, there's some people are just not into it at all. Um, I'm going to do that. You know what? I'm going to hold off on this recommendation
1: until the album comes out. Never mind.
0: Um, What will I recommend? I will be, I mean, I'm not, uh, I don't know how it is yet, but I'll be starting to read or listen to the Becoming Steve Jobs book. Um, I should probably just buy the audio Um, and hopefully that's good. And I will... Uh, I can give you my Audible password. <sighs> wow, that's... Uh, yeah, see? Yeah. Um, this is true friends. <laughs> so that that, that will all, hopefully all... I, yeah, that's hopefully all I'll be recommending. And um, my girlfriend probably won't let me while I'm in California, but I'm really, really trying to see Fast 7, Jesse's also most anticipated oh movie God. of the year.
1: God. I can't believe you
0: want to see that. Oh, my God. I am a mega fan of all the fasts. Dude. There's no amount of money that can make me watch one of those. Dude. I'm just... I'm going to just get you super drunk one day, and we're just going to watch all the movies that I'll never be able to get you to watch. I'll try to, like, super cut all the movies, basically, and uh, just just get you to watch them. Good luck with that. Well, thank you for listening. This has been another grumpy end, as Jesse has tragically ruined all of our childhoods for us. (laughs) Um, If you're listening live on Adobe and want to hear more or share it with your friend, please go to offtherecord.fm or um, check us out and subscribe on iTunes, maybe leave a review. And uh, we'll be back next week, and I'll let you know how Fast 7 was.